0: Um, uh, more than two verses this week. Those of you that weren't here last week, we went on until 3 a.m. on the first two verses uh, of our passage. Um, Paul is writing to the Philippians. It's a church that he loves greatly. Um, It's a church that has supported him. Uh, And and what Paul has done is is he's used a, a letter. And I said last week, we've got to remember, Paul's not writing a textbook for us He's not writing theology for us in terms of an essay. He's just writing a letter to some friends. But what Paul does is he takes the letter-writing conventions of the day and he tweaks it. And he uses uh, the standard form, the boilerplate, to add in some details about what he wants to say. Uh, Excuse me, I'm cold, so I'm doing up my jacket. Um, And we've already seen in the g'day, this is me, that's you, how you doing bit, uh, which comes at the top of the letter. Paul's already done a whole bunch of unpacking uh, of who we are in Jesus uh, and what, uh, what, what he's going to say in the rest of the letter. And now he comes to the next bit, which, which happened in most letters, kind of like, a. by the way, I'm praying to the gods for you. But for Paul, of course, he's not, by the way, I'm praying to the gods for you. Paul is, by the way, I'm praying to the God. I'm praying to our God for you. And he says to them right at the start here in verses 3 to 5, Philippians, people uh, in Christ, the saints in Christ, not because you're perfect, but because Jesus has saved you. Isn't that amazing? You are a saint. We are m- messed up saints. I love that. The, the tautology is the wrong word, but the irony of that, we are, we are dirty saints made clean by Jesus. He says to you saints here, I really, really, really appreciate you. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. You've been my partners. Because you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. When Paul prays for them, he prays with joy because they have been partnering with him uh, in this work of his, of of telling the world about Jesus, um, we have missionaries at our church. Can anyone tell me the names of the four missionary agencies slash missionaries that we support? World Evangelism for Christ. World Evangelism for Christ, and Belle's not allowed to say any more now because she's the mission coordinator. I'm drawing up a list for the global, interaction. global Interaction, which would, Math, Anyone else? What does? Math mean? Mission Aviation Fellowship. The Bulgarians. The Bulgarians. The Australians. Daniel and um, Kate. Katie. We haven't yet. That's where we are are choosing who we're going to adopt uh, to replace Lucy at the next members meeting. But isn't it interesting that so often... uh, it, how long did that take us? About five minutes to, to muddle it through and go, who, who are we supporting again? Um, where's Phil? <laughs> Phil said to me the other day, you know what? Who are these missionaries that we're supporting? It would be really great to have, to have some information because we don't know. They're newcomers to the church. How would they know? Paul looks at the Philippians and realizes that for them he is more than just a name on a missionary list. He's more than just someone that they support. And, and, hey, I'm not having a go at us. We support these guys. It's wonderful. But, but these Philippians, when it came to Paul, he was, he was their man in the field. When Paul was having a good time, they were thrilled. When Paul was in jail, they were in tears and in prayer. His ups were their ups. His downs were their downs. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Have a listen to what, to what Paul says about them over here. He says... Um, As you know, in case you forgot, you Philippians were the ones, the only ones, who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. And even when I was in Thessalonica, so in a different place, you sent help more than once. And Paul says, I'm not saying I want a gift from you. I just want you to receive the reward for your kindness. They kept sending Paul help. They kept showing kindness to Paul. They'd send visitors to meet him in jail to, to look after his needs. And remember, in jail, in those days, you didn't get fed unless your friends fed you. Uh, that, that they were there looking out for him. And, and the other thing that's, that's quite amazing, if you read 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul boasts about the churches in Macedonia where, where Philippi is, he says that out of their poverty, they gave. He was doing a collection for the poor in Jerusalem, and and this church was not a wealthy church. This church was not a church that was rolling in cash, that was like, yes, this month we'll give a thousand of our $3,000 extra to to Paul because, you know, we met him once. No, this church was the kind of church that would sacrificially give because Paul's mission was important to them. They were poor, but they were full of the joy of knowing Jesus, and they were quick to give. Paul's joy, when he speaks to God about them, uh, isn't the joy of having had his life made easy. Remember, Paul's writing this letter to them from jail. He's writing, saying, I'm full of joy when I think of you because you helped me so much. But their help hasn't sprung him. Their help hasn't given him a a five-star hotel room. Their help hasn't given him, uh, you know, a nice PA system so that he doesn't have to strain his voice when he preaches to the crowds. Paul's just joyful because King Jesus is being accepted. In fact, he says a little bit later in uh, chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 18, he says um, that, well, a little bit before that, there are some people who are preaching the gospel out of good motives. And there's other, other people are going, well, we don't like Paul, so we're going to preach the gospel so that we can get Paul into trouble. And Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 18, that doesn't matter. They, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. That doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. Their message about Christ is being preached either way. And so what do I do? I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. Why? Because I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul says, what makes me happy is that the good news about Jesus is going out. In fact, he's going to say to them uh, in in chapter 2, verse uh, 2, what will make me really happy, guys, is if you... uh, uh, agree wholeheartedly with each other if you love one another and you work together with one mind and one purpose. But already he looks at them and says, I see that you are working together with me like that. But, but make me completely happy by doing that with each other as well. That, that sense of unity. And I think as Paul looks at the Philippians, as we look at them through Paul's letter to them, we see that their actions betray their heart. They had a heart for Jesus. Their priorities in life were changed. They they were willing to sacrifice for Paul. They were willing to sacrifice not for Paul, but for Jesus. Their heart was God's heart. Paul says a little bit later that they were were, um, participants with him, sharers with him in the grace of God. That's about verse 7. The, the kindness of God to save. And, and the grace of God that they shared in was more than just God's kindness to save them, but, but the grace of God to use Paul and use them to tell others about Jesus. They were partners with Paul, business partners in the business of telling the good news. They loved God and they loved Paul and they loved others because they had experienced God's love. Remember uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 10, that fantastic um, verse that says to us, uh, 1 John 4 verse 10, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. They loved Paul because they had experienced God's love. And Paul, writing to them, has got this beautiful turn of phrase. Uh, our English translations change it a bit to make it understandable. But verse 8, sort of literally he says, I love you in the entrails of Jesus. In the guts. That's where the emotions sit. Not We, we say in the heart. I love you with the heart of Jesus is what Paul is saying. They love Paul. They love the mission because God has loved them. And Paul says, well, I love you with the love of God. This thing that we've got going, it's not just that you are looking after me and I appreciate it. It's you're looking after me because God has loved you and I'm appreciating it because I see God working in you. And, and I love you, but, but God loves you so much more. And my love's just a reflection of that. The Philippians were doing a great thing. But as Paul looks at them, he says, I don't want to focus on what you guys are doing, but verse 6, I want to focus on the fact that God is doing an incredible work in you. The Philippians were partnering with Paul because God had started a good work in them. And and this this good work, I believe, is the work of God saving them and changing them to become like Jesus. If you think about it, How we become Christians is we choose to put our trust in Jesus. We say, I choose to trust that Jesus is God. I choose that I will follow him. Uh, And we do this every day. We have to do this every day. But if you look at the story of how the church in Philippi started, Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 31, uh, it it started with a lady called Lydia, who's standing there at the river. Uh, Paul speaks to her. And he's obviously very convincing, and uh, Acts says, we expect, and Lydia decided to trust in Jesus. That's what, maybe what we would say if we were telling her story. Maybe that's what she would say if she was telling her story. But, but have a listen to what Luke says as he relates what happened. Um, I've got the wrong verse there. Anyway, that's the jailer there. As she listened, verse 14, to us, writes Luke, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Do you notice what what Luke says there? He doesn't focus on the fact that she chose to trust. He says first the Lord opened her heart and then she trusted and accepted what Paul was saying. We are the ones who must trust God. We are the ones who must put our faith into action. And yet we only trust in God. We can only do that because God first turns on the engine. And we can try, push the, 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 the car of our lives along. But boy, when the engine's on, you're actually going to go somewhere, aren't you? God's goal, God's work, I believe, is to conform us into the image of His Son. God wants us to feel the way Jesus feels. He wants us to think the way Jesus thinks. He wants us to be like Jesus. And Paul looks at the Philippians, and I believe he looks at us, he looks at all Christians, and he says, I am sure that God has started this good work in you, and I am even more sure that God, well, not even more, I am just as sure that God will finish it. And I think Paul looked at the Philippians and he said, I see your actions and they're saying to me that God is doing something in you. Why would you support me the way you support me? Why would you partner with me in this thing where I get thrown into jail if God wasn't doing something? Philippi was not an easy place to be a Christian. Why would they not only become Christians, but then help someone far away? If he was in Rome... And there's debate about if he was in jail in Rome at this stage. But if he was in Rome when he wrote this, that's a month's journey each way. Why would they bother? Paul says, well, Paul thinks I believe that God has started something, that God has started changing the way their priorities work. I love this verse. I love this verse, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Isn't that encouraging? But the question has to come, how do we know whether God will actually save us? And whether God will maybe not just give up on us? At times, we might have the attitude of the Philippians. We might have their joyful, sacrificial heart. At times, we might not. Does that resonate with anyone? Verse 6, Paul says, My being saved isn't the work of myself. It is something that God starts, and it's something that God will finish. God knows who his own are. But how do we know if God has started something or not? It's a good question, isn't it? Val says, you know. You know in there. Except sometimes when you're in the valley. Sometimes you know even more. Sometimes you know less. We want it this work of God to make us like Jesus. We want it to be something that we can prove. We want to make it something that, that if I just work hard enough, if I do good enough, then I will know. And I've ticked all the boxes and I've, I've completed all. The Philippians partnered with Paul. And I believe Paul looked at that and said, wow, I see that God has started something in you. But the Philippians weren't partnering with Paul so that Paul would say, yep, uh, tick the box, you guys have got it, God's God's with you, okay, well done. And they go, whew, wow, we can stop now because, you know, we've got it made now. The Philippians weren't doing this to get good with God. The Philippians were doing it because God had started something with them. So how, how do we know that God has started something? Well, sometimes we need a Paul. Sometimes we need a Paul to come to us and say, I can see something in your life that perhaps God has started some work in you. And sometimes we're not very good at Sometimes we're so full of ourselves that we can see it in ourselves completely. We're like, hey, hey. Masterpiece of God at work. And hey, yes, you are a masterpiece of God at work. We can be a bit arrogant about that sometimes. Sometimes we go... Am, am, I, am I a masterpiece? And we need someone like Eric to turn around and say, you know what, I've noticed, Lynn, that in your life you're an encourager. And I think that's something of Jesus. Or we need a Debbie to say, you know what, I really appreciate how Les came and spread the mulch in my garden. He might have done that just because he's a nice guy, but but maybe that's showing something. Or John saying, you know, I I just love the way that that Val and who was the other one you said? And and, And Pam. Fran and Pam. Where is she? Over here. And maybe that's something of God's love. We need a Paul now and again, don't we? Be a Paul to each other. John 6 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And in John chapter six, verse thirty-five, Jesus uh, is speaking to the crowds. They've they've had some food from him and they just want another miracle. Now one of the things he says to them uh, in verse thirty five is this I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of, the God who, of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those He has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. In other words, if you come to Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to take you. Isn't that a great thing as well? How do we know if God started something? Well, have you ever gone to Jesus? Because if you've gone to Jesus, that's a miracle in itself. No one comes to the Father except if the Father calls them. If you have turned to Jesus at any stage and said, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus says, well, if you believe in me, I'm starting a work in you right now. It's not based on how good you are. Hey, even the fact that you come to me is something that I've started. And I'm going to finish it. John chapter 6, verse 39. I will not lose a single one. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that good to know? That it's not about us. That if we've gone to Jesus, Jesus will not let us go. That God has started something by the very fact that we've gone to Jesus. We need to remind ourselves of that. Because so often we can lose sight of that. How do we know that God has started something? Well, Peter writes about this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, Peter says there, and, and we preached on this just a, a, a few months uh, back. Uh, doo, 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 doo. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, uh, in, in view of all of this, in, in view of the fact that God has given us uh, all of the promises in Jesus, uh, that he's called himself, uh, us to himself, uh, that he's given us the great and precious promises, uh, that enable us to share his divine nature, escape the world's corruption, in view of all of this, make every effort, says Peter, to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with uh, self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who fail to develop in this way, short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. Dear brothers and sisters, so because of this, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. In other words, says, says Peter there, confirm your calling. Confirm your election. Uh, uh, don't just go, well, God has called me, so you know I'm going to sit back. He says, no, chase after God. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Hey, from our perspective, we, we can slide backwards. We can spend ages in valleys. Uh, if, if, if we were to assess ourselves, we might be in trouble. Because I don't know about you, but we spent two months in Abraham, and, and I, I, I like Abraham. He's, he's been hiding out in my mirror for a few years now. From our perspective, well, our perspective doesn't matter. The theologian Mottier says, perseverance of the saints rests on the perseverance of God with the saints. And if God finishes what he starts, then failures don't define us. God does. And Paul says this in chapter 3, and you might have picked up, this is my favorite bit in Philippians. Paul says, I'm not perfect yet, but I will get up and I will reach out for the goal For which Jesus has already reached out and taken hold of me. How are we going? Good stuff. So it's all about what God does. You don't have to do anything. Go home. Celebrate. That's true, isn't it? That's true. Yes, it is. But it's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. If God is the starter and finisher of His work, though, do my actions count? And if God is the starter and finisher, why does Paul go on in verse 9 and say, I'm praying for you guys? That your love would bubble over, that it would overflow, that you would grow in knowledge and uh, and understanding, or or another way to put that, knowledge and discernment. Well, maybe Romans 6 helps us over here. Have a read of Romans 6. In fact, have a read of Romans. Great book. Romans chapter 6 has got this this idea that that when God saves us, He changes us from being dead to being alive. And Paul writes in Ephesians that God has got good works prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It is reasonably difficult to do something when you're dead. reasonably. As the Ghostbusters moving out, I'll I'll tell you what the the verdict of that is. Paul's whole point is that if you're going to be dead, you're going to not be able to do anything, but Jesus comes and starts a good work in you, and the work that he starts is like jumper leads on your soul. And he says, I've started the engine of your life, and now you can actually do something. God's grace, His good work enables us to live like Jesus. And and the Philippians, the fact that they were partnering with Paul was, as I've said, a sign that, that God had made them alive. Because what we do speaks a lot about what's happening in our hearts and our priorities. And if God starts rewriting our hearts and priorities, that will show. Truth will out where our heart is does not ever just stay in our heart, does it? And it's possible, of course, that we will do good works to impress people. Would you like a... Ananias and Sapphira, do you remember them? Such a godly good couple. They were part of the church. They were, they were wonderful. They sold their property and they gave more than a tenth to the church. Wasn't that, wasn't that wonderful? It was a great thing to do, wasn't it? Of course, their heart's desire wasn't to, so much to see the church grow. That was there. But their real heart's desire was to have everyone look at them and go, Wow, Barnabas sucks compared to you guys. You're amazing. Of course, we we never are like Ananias and Sapphira. Because their actions betrayed them, even though they thought their actions secret. If my focus is on doing good things to make a good impression on you, or to make a good impression on God, then I am destined to fail. There's only so much strength and energy that I have. And I'm sure you know this as well as I, when you try and do that, you burn. You burn. Because when we do that, we are acting out of our insecurities. Not a certainty that God will finish what he started. If if I want my car to move, I don't focus on moving it. I focus on making sure there's petrol in the tank. Paul's prayer for the Philippians isn't that they do more, isn't that they work harder, isn't that they prove themselves more but that their love would keep on overflowing into actions and attitudes and that their actions and that our actions would flow from knowledge and understanding, discrimination. There's no way that I can assure myself that God is working in me by focusing on what I am doing. But what is needful for me and for you is to Grow in understanding of who God is, of His love, of His plan, of His character, of His promises, of His heart. When Paul says, I want you to grow in knowledge, I, I think he wants us to grow in knowledge about who God is, about what God has done in the past, about God's character and actions, by, by reading the Bible. And can I challenge you this week, read Philippians with me. It's a short book. Let's, let's read just a chapter. I don't think there's... Let's just read a chapter a day, and when you're finished, go into the next book. And one of the other ways is we can get to know God and grow in our knowledge of God by hanging out with other Christians. I read an article, this is an old story, sorry, this is a bit of a digression, and I know our time is up. But teenagers, statistically, whether they stay in church or not, depends on whether they've got good relationships with older people. Five people at least, who build into their lives. And that's true of them, but that's true of us as well. We grow in our knowledge of God by reading God's Word primarily, but also by hearing about what God has done. John telling us today about how he, God just healed him, not completely, but, but gave him the ability to speak because he asked. And what do we learn about God? We learn that God is good and God is kind. Phil had a similar story to tell us. These stories teach us about God. We grow in our knowledge of God through them. Mostly through the Bible, but, but God is still active today. And as we know God better, we can discriminate more. We can live out of that knowledge. So God in the past ha- ha- has done this. Abraham we studied. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And then Abraham messed up and God said, I'm still here for you, Abraham. Wow, how does that apply to my life today? Ah, yeah, when I mess up, God says, I'm still there for you. Or or what about this situation where Abraham prayed for the cities of the plain? How do I apply that today to the people who are anti-Jesus? Ah, yeah, I'm going to do that. Or Jonah. Ah, I see from God's character there that that perhaps I shouldn't be calling people who disagree with me idiots, but I should be loving them and telling them God loves them. Knowledge leads to discrimination. Not discrimination in terms of, I hate you and go and stand in the corner. Discrimination. But being able to discern. Discernment. You see, working To love God better is the wrong place to start. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, tells us in 1 John that real love isn't about God loving us. Wow, that's rubbish. Real love isn't about us loving God, but about God loving us first. So let's chase that. Paul wants them to be pure and blameless, verse 10. So many things in this world vie for our attention. Sin in particular tries to sell us the lie that it can make us happy, that it can give us joy. When I was a child, I needed glasses. I think that's Fran at the back there. I can see that's John because he's got a stripy jumper. I hated the idea of getting glasses. Phil's going, preach it, brother. A little kid, probably year three, year two, year four. I don't know. I thought I was going to be teased. I was teased a bit. But do you know the incredible thing? Driving home, I think it was at night time, I got an ice cream out of it as well. The street lights were not blurry. Did you ever realize that street lamps have got points to them? They're not just this amorphous blob of light. I didn't realize that I was missing that much. The more we understand how much God loves us and wants what's best for us, the more we realize is that what he actually offers is the best. Sometimes we are like the year three me going, life's grand. I can read that word on the blackboard. It says love. Those of you turning around, there is no word written on the blackboard. (laughs) In chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul's going to come and he's going to say, I used to think that life was perfect. I had so much good stuff. But I've grown to understand who God is. I've grown in my knowledge of God. God has shown that to me. I've chased after that. And now I count all of that stuff to be rubbish compared with the all-surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us are at Paul's place right there going, everything in my life is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Something to chase after. I read somewhere that we always do what we want to do, and that's true. We act out of our desires. And Paul's prayer for the Philippians and for us is that we grow to desire God more because when we do that, that will that will affect how we live. We will be pure and blameless. And that's not something that we have to work at. That's that That's Jesus working in us. And yet we are to grow in our knowledge of God. And as we do that, it kind of just... The fruit appears. The fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Our role is just to understand God more, to grow, to desire Him more, and then to just live out of what we want. Because the more we understand who God is, the more God will make us want Him more. The more we fall in love with God because God loves us, the more we will live out of that. And yes, our dearest sins, and I read that in the commentary and I thought, what a wonderful turn of phrase. Our dearest sins, our ingrained habits, and our failures to follow God must be challenged, they must be deposed, they must be scorned, they must be put away. But that doesn't, don't put the cart before the horse. The way to put off sin is not just to attack it, but first of all to say, I want to know God better. That's what Paul prays for the, for the Philippians. First of all, he says, grow to know better and discern and then out of that you will be pure and blameless. Know that God is the better option. Ultimately, God will be glorified for that. So, let's finish here. Is it all about what God does? Absolutely. Does that mean that there's anything we should do? Think there's a, Can someone just pick the pin up? Respond. But how respond? Respond by, by spending time with God. Who, who here reckons that they spend time with God enough. Never, enough? never enough. I said to someone the other day, I get so annoyed with people when they come to me and they say, you know what, I never miss my Bible study. Every day, without fail. And I get annoyed because inside of me I'm going, yeah, well, I know I should be doing that, but I don't. Sometimes I miss it. Ah, ah, ah. But do you know what Paul's argument here is? He says, if you want, God has started this work. God's going to finish it. Get, get used to that idea. But get to know him better. Don't do it as a chore. Don't do it to tick a box. But do it because actually God is better than anything else. And, and, and here's the rub of it. How do we know that God is going to finish what he starts? Because he keeps his promises. And how do we know that? Because we get to know God better. All you have to do to be saved is to trust Jesus. God, God's in that business, not us. But if you want to know it, get to know God